You are listening to Talking Machines. I'm Katherine Gorman, and this week finds us at ICML, the International Conference on Machine Learning. So we're going to bring you a little bit of a shortened episode. Uh, today, we're going to hear from Jennifer D., who is a professor at Northeastern in Boston, and she's also the program chair, one of two program chairs with Andreas Krauss, uh, of this year's ICML. And when we got to sit down with her, I asked her the first question we ask all of our guests. How did you get where you are? I grew up in the Philippines, so I had my undergrad there. And then I, I wanted to learn more, so I went to the U.S. to do grad school. I went to uh, Purdue University. Fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> for, for my master's and for my PhD. So I actually had an undergrad in electrical engineering. Oh, wow. Yeah. And then I was interested in image processing. Mm -hmm. So I did a master's in image processing. And then for my PhD, um, I worked with Carla Broadley, who Fantastic. introduced me to machine learning. Nice. So um, I, I like machine learning because I like the understanding part of working with data. So I started with images and because I like images and then I like the understanding piece of how to to make them useful and also to automatically detect what's out there. That's why it led me to machine learning. And then after PhD, I enjoyed teaching. And so I went directly from grad school and then got a university position in Northeastern. Oh, awesome. Yeah. So I went to direct path. So, and you lead a group at Northeastern. Yes. Um, tell me about what questions you're asking, what you guys are working on. So one thing I, I do is that I, I do both fundamental research in machine learning and also um, applications of machine learning to, to health, science, and engineering. Mm -hmm. what, what led me to machine learning was really, I was, um, I like working with with how to make it useful to society. And even for PhD, actually, I was attracted to projects in, in medical imaging. So similarly, once I started my PhD program, I started looking for collaborations and working with applications that also has usefulness to, to health. I, luckily, I have a collaborations with um, Brigham and Women's Hospital. Mm -hmm. and, and there we, we looked at um, lung disease called um, COPD. Oh, wow. Yeah, it's a it's a chronic obstructive pulmonary disease of the lungs, which is usually uh, affected due to smoking or pollution. And so I, I work with, with that group to to try and discover what you call disease subtypes. So right now they classify things into one disease called COPD, but but they know it's heterogeneous, so they want to figure out what are the subgroups. It's what just are the a subgroups? Big catch-all for being able not to breathe real good. Yeah, well, yeah, <laughs> exactly. And, and so that we can we can help better prognosis and personalized treatment of patients. And, and the cool thing about that is it matches with what I've been working on in machine learning, which is clustering. So when you do subtyping, um, basically you you just have a bunch of data, and and the goal is really how do you cluster them automatically right. so that we can stratify the patients and have better attention to to different subgroups. So essentially you're going through all of the the state data that you have and if you cluster into a certain group you can essentially call that a substratification of the disease and maybe these patients would benefit from similar treatment? Hopefully. Yeah. Hopefully. Yeah, yeah. it's a long process to to actually get there but yeah, hopefully that that's what we would like to do. Tell yeah. me a little bit more about this project. Are the images you're using x-rays? They're computed tomography oh. images, so HRCT. Nice. And it's um, 
3D images. We also collect genetic data. Oh, wow. And clinical data. It's a consortium from 21 clinical sites around the U.S. So oh, my it's, gosh. It's, it's usually so Brigham and Women's is part of that. So I'm lucky to have collaborations with them. But it, it also involves other hospitals. That's amazing. It's such an incredible project. And I feel like there's been such a influx of medical applications because there's so much information. And if you can just say something that's a little bit more specific about what that information could mean to a patient's treatment, it could be such a huge impact. Yeah. How have you seen this project evolve? The, the cool thing is, I mean, in, in any multidisciplinary research, it takes a while. You yeah. actually have to like work together. Get another and, PhD, kind of. And exactly, <laughs> and collaborate. And you have to understand each other's language. And we also have different models of publication. So you have to be understanding about it and you help each other. So it took a while, but it's great. It's great because like, we can make impact to, to how we understand the disease better. Yeah. So I tend to work with um, multidisciplinary research because mm -hmm. it allows all the different disciplines to improve and grow. And, and the cool thing about working with real data is that it challenges state-of-the-art machine learning. Yeah, so, definitely. Right. If you're yeah. not using a toy data set, you have something actually exactly. to like try to break. Yeah. yeah. So initially, I mean, when they came to us, they thought, well, you can maybe you can just use machine learning to make this work. But then, yeah. Yeah. Can, you, can you machine learn this? <laughs> yeah. <Cool. laughs> and, and then we have to talk to them and then make them realize that machine learning is not just a magic tool where you get results immediately that when you do clustering you actually have assumptions so in clustering the goal is to group together similar objects mm -hmm, mm -hmm. into the same group and then when you do that it you have to define what you call a similarity and then then you have to define the metric and you have to or a probability model so you have to, to explain to them what it means right, right. <laughs> that it has some assumptions so if i just apply let's say k-means you assume they're compact clusters and spherical and mm -hmm. then and then you all the features have equal weights but right. maybe that's not what you mean you want them to have different weights with like a gaussian assumption for example and you have to explain that and then we realized that's not what they were looking for right. in the end. Right. <laughs> so it takes a while. So you have to consider that and, and think about modeling the, the, the actual problem. That's the piece I like. So when once you get there, once you go through that barrier, you now start thinking about, okay, so now that means standard toolbox don't work. So right. now we have to come up with um, the proper model, and then it then leads to more innovative algorithms. So tell me, <clears throat> so you worked in a lots of... Uh, interdisciplinary yeah. projects. Tell me about that that translational leap where you're trying to sort of teach these other researchers the things that they can actually do with machine learning and get them beyond the point of just, can you machine learning this for me? Um, what's the biggest challenge that you've had there in trying to uh, translate um, or create that connection across a discipline? The greatest challenge is really understanding the problem. Because when they talk to us, they have their own language. And then I usually collaborate with academics. So they usually start going to like the technical language of their field. So I, I collaborate, by the way, also with climate and also psychologists. They can get into their own language. And then that's the barrier we had to overcome. And then we have to explain also what we mean with different models and different algorithms. And usually... Too, um, they're not used to like the the math right. like, and the <laughs> equations, yeah. and we're used to showing the equations. So it it takes a while to describe, and usually we have to show them a lot of visualizations too, 
And actually yeah. that leads me to um, the later piece of my work where now after we build these complex models to help them learn, we, we realized that, yeah, you can show that it works well and has great accuracy, but for them to really trust it. Yeah, yeah. Because has... they're an expert in this and they're like, I don't know why that's saying that. <laughs> exactly. So, so yeah, so it led us to start looking more into models that are also interpretable oh. so that they can, they can understand what's going on. Yeah, tell me more about the work in interpretability. It's, um, it, yeah, it's, it's not easy because <laughs> really when you build models, you want to push for accuracy and, right. and prediction ability of your model. But then when you go to interpretability, sometimes you, you, you have a, that kind of trade-off because yeah. now you have to make it more simple so that they can understand. In the context of our work, so we've been working with like clustering models. Even let's mm -hmm. say like a Gaussian mixture is complicated right. for them because they want to know what the boundaries were and so on. Yeah. And, and, and with doctors, they actually like to know um, if it's squared or less than some features. It's, it's easier for them to do that. So we started looking into, like, let's say, rule-based types or like a rectangular rules mm. type of boundaries. So the box just defined the boundaries right. and then it gives us a latent variable model of yeah. what belongs to inside the inside box the bo or not. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But then you can make it more complex where inside the box defines some some cluster preserving property which they care about that's fantastic it seems like it, it's a good fungible concept that you could move easily between disciplines right like here's here's the box here's the <laughs> here are the latent things in this box right yeah. yeah it seems like it would be an easy idea to carry from project that to makes project. it easy and the other thing too is they also want to know like which features are important mm -hmm. so yeah. it also led us to work with um, feature selection and make it understandable to them. Tell me more about the project on so climate. So we have a, a new professor, I mean, not new anymore, who <laughs> moved right. to Northeastern. The and most then, recent one. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So um, so this is Arup Ganguly. When he joined mm. um, Northeastern, he started collaborating with me, and then I got involved in that. So in this project, we were interested in um, the problem called downscaling. Mm. And, and really what it, it means is that you have um, climate variable models that are coarser scale. So it's, it's like kilometer by yeah. kilometer wide scale. And they have like prediction models for this. And the problem is we, we want it to be at a finer resolution right. scale to use it for um, planning and preparedness preparedness yeah. Yeah, and yeah, so yeah. on yeah so so basically it's a super resolution type of problem when mm. if you relate it to image processing right. from coarse resolution to, to high resolution, resolution. Yeah. so he was interested in that and that's what we we started working on and then we we started looking at again with climate it's spatial temporal so mm. it's a different kind of data so now we have to start looking at the fundamental question those there. kind of models yeah. yes yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly so you're you're also working on a project about cancer. Um, tell me how that project got so started. So that got started because again, starting with a collaborator who yeah. came to me, and um, he's actually an optical engineer called Malin Rajashka. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> and he, he he works at Sloan Ca Memorial Sloan Canyon Cancer Center oh, in New York. He builds a machine called confocal microscopy, mm. and it allows you to visualize under the skin. 
Oh, wow. So the cool thing about this is that instead of doing a biopsy, right. we can just um, we can use this confocal microscope to, to see under the skin and hopefully help us diagnose cancer, That's skin cancer or, or not. So the challenging thing is that the, the images are actually poor resolution yeah. and poor contrast. So so we have to then come up with innovative um, machine learning and right. image processing to to help make sense out of that data. That's amazing. And such a such an amazing tool for to help further uh, a non-invasive process for so many patients. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So so that's why um we got when I got involved in this I got excited about it cuz we can we can hopefully make that um, happen. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Do you find that you can apply the same thinking from the climate project when you're trying to move from coarse resolution to fine resolution when you have simply a different kind of image? It may also have like um, different parameters if you're trying to clarify the image in addition to going from uh, a low resolution to a high resolution. But does that thinking, are there similarities there? Can you do similar approaches? Um, it's actually, although they're both images, it's the the data is very different, mm -hmm. okay. <laughs> and the yeah. challenges are very different. Yeah. So in in the skin imaging problem, it's it's poor resolution, but they have structure behind mm -hmm. it. Mm -hmm. So in that case, we we started thinking about models that we can take advantage of the structure we know that we're looking for. Got it. So in particular, they're looking for like hills and valley, uh, which is um, we 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 which is like a shape structure behind this three dimensional image, and then we. We incorporate that into our model to try to to find this latent structure hidden in this in this 3D image. With climate, it's it's a little bit different because it's not less structured. It's not structured. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, <laughs> so 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 the challenges and the tricks that you use are a little bit different. But but um but. Actually, we can use some of the other things, like in the, the lung project. Mm -hmm. There are some similarities in that we can figure out some structure. Highly structured three-dimensional data, or at least structured to the point where you sort of know what you're looking yeah, for. What you lo yeah, what you're looking for. Maybe it, there is some connection in the sense of how do you start thinking about um, combining physics models mm. with with data yeah or or in general like domain domain or scientific type of models mm -hmm. that you know about the problem and combining it with with data yeah. and i think that's also an, another interesting um challenge for machine learning to how do you actually incorporate both at the same time yeah bring the tools into the the physical world yeah exactly yeah and also um domain expertise knowledge how do you right. incorporate that into into machine learning models because yeah. because usually when you work with um, real problems and with collaborators, you soon realize that they know a lot. Yeah, and and it will be great to be able to incorporate that knowledge. It basically allows you to lift the structure, right? Like, yes. but you have to be able to talk to the person in the language that they are under can understand, so they can uncover that structure for you. Exactly, yeah. and cover it, and then you figure out how to use that into your right. models. So. Yeah, definitely. And tell me more about the basic research that you're doing, the foundational research that you're doing in your lab. So I do a lot of work on clustering, um, dimensionality reduction, and feature selection. Nice. And um, and usually I, I build models with latent variable. I like probability models because you can easily incorporate um, 
your assumptions and modeling behind behind these these algorithms. I, I work on those, and then I started expanding also. So I again the full scope of machine right. learning, semi-supervised, right. supervised, and and recently I also um, started looking to active learning. So usually um, in in supervised learning, right, you just you collect data and then put labels on it. But when you, you want them to be labeled, especially the ones I work with are usually experts, like doctors and right. very expensive. Yeah, <laughs> you can't ask them to sit for hours and click through labeling stuff. <laughs> yeah, yeah, so exactly. So so that led us to, to start thinking about active learning. So, nice. so in active learning, it finds an efficient way to mm -hmm. actually select samples more intelligently so that you don't have to um, label too many samples. Right, right. Yeah, yeah. Base, expanding your data set in a sort of a cheap way. In a cheaper way. Yeah, yeah. nice. <laughs> yeah, it's That's still not cheap. But, right, yeah. Yeah, right. Yeah, it's still not cheap, but like relatively. Yeah. yeah. Oh, fantastic. Yeah, yeah that's, yeah. Uh, so, yeah, so I... I don't know. So so I started working into, into that as well. And then um, the other thing that I... I worked on is um, we, we have experts. Mm -hmm. So we actually have not just one, but many experts. Yeah. So we thought of starting also like, why don't we ask them? Yeah. But they have multiple different varying opinions right. and varying levels Disagree of expertise. With each other. <laughs> yes, right. Yeah. 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 So, so we have to um, build models where actually, how do you combine right. inputs from multiple annotators? Yeah. And, and also learn their um, uncertainty. The work that you've done mm -hmm. is so fundamental and has like so many application areas. And um, people are bringing you lots of varied questions. You have lots of spaces you can explore and play in, but then you often have to like find a new way to approach these questions because the experts don't really know what they're asking of you. Mm -hmm. It seems like there's a, there's a lot to be done. There's lots of opportunity, but a lot to be done. Yeah, there's a lot to be done. So. Yeah, exactly. So usually that's what happens. So they come to me and then I start looking to the problem and then and then in the end we realize, well, you know, um, we we do have to to come up with innovative machine learning for this and then right. to start and then it led us to some interesting problem and then we go deeper Get and then that to PhD thesis. Right. Yeah. And mm -hmm. um, your your chair, your program chair mm -hmm. of ICML this year. Congratulations! Thank you. Um, so, what are you excited about this year? So, um, it's been. I mean, it, it's exciting. It's it's an honor to be to be a program chair. Uh, it's it's quite exciting because of the growth. Yeah. So this year we have approximately two thousand five hundred submissions. Wow. Oh my gosh! <laughs> Talk about a reviewing headache. Oh, well, luckily we have so many reviewers yeah. and, and area chairs, which actually um, made made it easier. Fantastic. So, and we try to make their review load low too, but mm -hmm. so that they can have quality reviews. Right. Right. So, um, but but the good thing is, I, I'm I'm we're I mean, Anderson and I were pretty happy with yeah. with the review process. Uh, we we've got good quality papers this year great and um we we have you'll have to find out yeah we'll <laughs> yeah. have to see how it goes see yeah well well of course there, there's still a lot of, like there's a lot of deep learning papers mm -hmm. going on mm -hmm. and um there's also um a lot of work on fairness this yeah. year too so yeah. so we'll see yeah we'll see it should be really interesting it should be very interesting yeah jennifer d 
that's it for us this week on Talking Machines. Tune in next episode.